It's good to see God's work, and it's good to see how He stirs people up, not only to reach this city, but to spread. So we're thankful to God for the message. Um, why don't we together turn to the book of 1 John? The book of 1 John, we have been plugging through this book together, and we are in the second chapter. Of 1 John, if you're new to Christianity or new to the church at all, um, 1 John's towards the very back of the Bible. And so, we invite you to look along with us and uh, let's study God's Word together. We do believe the Bible is the Word of God and that He has much to speak to us through it. So, um, that's why we just kind of take books and, and move systematically along. So, today we're in 1 John chapter 2. And I'm actually going to read verses 12 through 27. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 27. The Word of God says this. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you, you've been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Let me pray. Father, take Your Word, root it in our hearts. Give us not just understanding, but give us faith that produces action. Action of love. And so, Father, we ask for our heads and our hearts, and our hands and feet, all to be changed today for Your namesake, so that You shine brightly through our lives, through this church, in this nation, in this city, and to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now, September 12th of this year, Australia raised their terror alert to the highest it's ever been in the country's history. It was raised to a high alert because of threats made by the now uh, infamous slash famous group ISIL or ISIS, depending on who you talk to. 
and how they abbreviate it. But this group is a terrorist group that has proven they have very little regard for life. And so the threat was for um, an extreme sense of killing in the country of Australia for a random person that they would then wrap in the ISIL flag in order to show their dominance. And so the Australian government raised the alert to high. They sent all of their um, special ops and other troops kind of into this mode of uncovering this terror plot. September 19th, 12 to 13 different warrants were issued and over the cover of night they rush out and they not only uncover this plot, um, but they stop it. And there was this great sense of relief and sense of thanksgiving that um, the alert and the hard work uh, paid off. Now, as I began to think about this text today, this is not far from what John is doing. John is seeking to raise the terror alert. But it's far more than just political. Do you know that there is a battle that is raging? Do you believe that there are spiritual terrorists who have declared war upon your soul and upon Christ's church? It's called the devil. It's called his minions, demons. And they are against us. They are against God. And yet God in the midst of that wants you to place confidence Confidence that greater is He that is in you, if you're a believer in Christ, than the one that's in the world, the devil. So there's this weird kind of tension. When the terror alert is raised, you get very unconfident, right? And yet... What John is seeking to do is not only raise the alert, but raise the level of your confidence in your God. So the title of today is Confidently Alert. This is what he wants us to be. Confident, yet alert, aware, ready. Ready to raise up our spiritual armor, knowing that the victory is Christ. It has been won on the cross. The war has been rendered over, but the battle still skirmishes along until Christ returns again. So as John seeks to raise the terror alert, the threat level in our own hearts, there is still this major aim that we would have confidence in God. So there's three main ideas that um, I think kind of outline this text. Number one, God wants a confident community. Pastor Byron preached last week on verse all the way through verse 14, but I wanted to connect quickly verses 12 through 14 to show that God is after a confident community, even in the midst of alerting us. So number one is God wants a confident community. Number two is God wants an alerted community. And specifically in verses 15 through 17, He wants us alerted to our wayward desires. And then verses 18 through 19, he wants us alerted to spiritual deception and attack. And then finally, he just basically revisits the same theme. And that is, not only does God want it, but God has created it. This is what he has done. He has created a confidently alert community. And now he's telling us to live in what we already are. So that's where we're headed today. And... Let's get started as God wants a confident community. Verses 12 through 14. Now, I say community because in verses 12 through 14, He is addressing the entire church and calling them children. He addresses them as children and then He begins to distinguish between older in age, not necessarily older or more mature in faith, but older in age and younger in age. And so now he is saying, you church, your sins have been forgiven. 
And they were forgiven for His name's sake. So if His name is at stake, He's going to finish what He began. This is why the Red Sea was parted, why the uh, Egyptians did not triumph over the Israelites. This is why the Jordan parted and the Israelites were brought into the promised land. For God's name's sake, He created a people and He preserved a people. And so now the text says, O church, for God's name's sake, so that we can know what He says is true, your sins are forgiven. And therefore, confidence is meant to bubble up in the heart that what God has done for His namesake, He will complete. That's Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And so the text continues to want to underscore this idea of confidence. He says to the fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning... He's constantly been talking about Jesus Christ who had no beginning, who has no end. He is the God-man that we can rest our lives in. Fully God yet fully man, able to redeem sinners. And so he says, you know Him. You know Him. This isn't just here. This isn't just mental assent. It is this relationship of intimate knowledge. You know Him. And then he says, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. The fact that you would turn from evil and you would place your heart and your life and surrender it into the hands of Jesus Christ shows that God has worked an overcoming of the evil one in your heart. So be confident, church. Your sins have been wiped away by the blood of Jesus. Be confident. Jesus is who He says He is. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is fully God. And be confident, church, that because He not only died, but He rose from the dead, He's overcome sin, Satan, and death. You can be confident the victory is won. Church, be confident. And so He's talking to them as a community. As those who have to relate to one another. The older relating to the younger. The younger relating to the older. But all having different gifts kind of working together to build up this sea level of confidence. And isn't it beautiful, no matter your age, He calls you a child. You're a child. You will never know as much as God the Father. He's always greater than us. There is this wonderful sense that our confidence comes in a unique way. Not by us getting bigger in our own eyes, but by us getting smaller as God gets bigger. And so this is what He seeks to do. Community, church, have confidence that you are His children. He does not want you walking around waffling of, am I really saved? Is, this, is God really done a work? Can, can, is He really strong enough to save me? Is He really able to overcome my past sins? Can He really make desires new? Yes, yes, yes. You are His. Gripped by Him. Walk in confidence. But now, as a confident community, He wants us on the alert. I used to work at Home Depot, and when I worked at Home Depot, there was always, there was always this sense where the, the cashiers have to run the item over this sensor that's underneath the, the table that they stand behind in order to deactivate its, um, you know, it's the sensor that's built in so you aren't a criminal and you can't steal stuff. So, you know, at Home Depot, it was always like this fascinating time, you know, kind of twisted fascination. But, you know, when the, the person kind of goes out and, meh, 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 and, you know, like the whole store is like turn their gaze upon this person and they just look horrible. And they're just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened. And then once, once the cashier goes, you know, okay, it's okay, go on, then you can tell they're just like ticked off that this person didn't scan it right, you know, just like, really? Now I'm embarrassed from the whole world. That happened at Target yesterday, too, you know, this woman walks out, bam, 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 and she's like, what, what, what? And then this person over here was like, oh, it's okay, go on. And by that time, she's mortified, you know, and so she's just like, and she leaves. And it's like, you know, this is, this is the alert that is happening when you work in retail. 
You don't want things stolen, and you also don't want to be that person that, you know, the alarm's going off and you're that person. You know, you're the thief now in the store. Well, it's this kind of sense of heightened alert that John now wants to push us into. The buzzers are going off in the store. And he's saying, be on the alert. What's the difference? When I was at Depot and worked there, the criminal was the one that when the alarm went off, they bolted out the door, right? And then you see managers and others bolting after them. Or the security running after them. The others were like that poor woman yesterday, sheepish. And she was just like, Oh, man, you know, and turn it, what did I do? And, you know, look in my bag, please. You know, I'm not trying. You know, check the receipt. You know, there's this sense of, what are you going to do with the alert? This is an alert. It's an alert that says, okay, you don't have to worry about being a thief if you didn't steal anything. So, be confident, church. Be confident. But John is seeking to raise the alert level. And he's, erasing, he's raising it in two ways. One is that there are wayward desires in our heart. And this world is clamoring for our affection. And if we are not on the alert, we will move away from fighting against sin, which is what believers do. Yes, they sin and they fight against it. We'll move away from that to swimming in sin and being indifferent to it. And so the alert level is high. He doesn't want anybody to take these things casually. And then also, he'll lay out that there's an attacker who's on the prowl. That you might not be able to see with your eyes, but he is on the prowl. And you must be on the alert. So let's just look at a couple of these. Verse 15 through 17. First, we're going to address the wayward desires. Be on the alert, community, regarding these wayward desires. Now it says here, uh, verse 15, Do not love the world. Isn't this the guy who wrote, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son? Aren't we like having some contradictory issues here? Don't love the world, but God loved the world. Don't be like God. Is that the message? No. Okay, it's not. What's he saying? Well, there's a differing degree in what he means here regarding the world. And there's a nuance and an emphasis on the word love. So here we have, do not love the world. Well, when it says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, it means God loves people. And because He loves people, He gave His life so that anyone who confesses Jesus Christ as their King and Lord submits their life to Him and wants to run away from their sin, they can be saved. Anybody. Because God loves the world and He proved it by sending Jesus to die on the cross. But what He's seeking to highlight by the world here is less the people and more of the system of rebellion in the hearts of the people. The world, its values, the running away from God, the systems and structures, structures that the evilness of our world. And he's then saying, now don't love that evil system and structure. Don't prize what the world prizes. Be suspect of it. And then value what... God values, which will be an antithesis to what the world prizes and values. Do you see? So he's saying now, don't love the world. But he's also saying don't love the world. Because if you'll notice in my title, I said, alerted to wayward desires. He's going after the heart. He's going after love. Who do you love? Who do you treasure? This is what John is after. He is after who do you treasure? Because it says right after that, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love, treasure, prize the world, you're proving you don't love the Father. Now again, remember what I said at the beginning. A believer 
is tempted by the world, gives into it sometimes, but is characterized by fighting against these things. So when the alert goes off, they want to turn away from sin and run to Jesus. This is an alert. If you're trying to dip your toes in the pool of the world, this is an alert. Run! But it's those who say, I don't care. I'm not just going to dip my toe in it. I'm giving myself to it. I'm not fighting against it. Anyone who loves the world doesn't love the Father. Remember, there was a group of people that were saying, I'm living a licentious, deceptive life. I'm even twisting who Jesus is, which we'll get to later on in the text. And yet, I still say I'm part of the church. I'm still in fellowship with God's people. We're okay. And He's addressing them. He's looking at them. It's not the majority in the church, but it's that divisive minority He's looking at and He's saying, if you are giving your life to the world, you should have no confidence at all that you are Christ's. None. So you see the play on words. He is talking about the love for the world and the love for the Father. This, this correlation. If you love the world, you can't love the Father. They are incompatible. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And here, Jesus wants to be clear. Our devotion must be for Christ. Given over to Christ. Not gripped by greed. Not paralyzed by people. But fighting against those things. Because we really want to please God. That's the aim of the Christian. I want to please the Father. Now, because then you can't say... You love Jesus and give yourself wholly to everything that the world says you should give yourself to. You have to understand, Christians are to be distinct from the world. And yet, just in case somebody begins to think, well, that means I'm apart from the world, you have to understand that the difference between the system and the people. We are to be distinct from the world system. Our values, how we make decisions, how we love, the degree of love, forgiveness. We have to be distinct from the world, but for the world. Because God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. We're supposed to be like His Son who gives our lives so that the people of our world would trust in Jesus. You get the nuance? But Christian, if there is no distinction... If there is no distinction between you and the world, how you love, what you love, the degree in which you love, how you use your resources, how you make decisions, how you determine right and wrong, then John is saying, the love of the Father is not in you. You don't love Him. It's just words. So, He is warning. He wants us to be on the alert Not only because if we fall in love with the world, we are proving ourselves not to love the Father, but He wants us to be on the the alert because the things of the world are fleeting and temporary. You see this in the same set of verses. Verse 16 and 17. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions... They're not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so he wants us to begin to look. He even lays out some of these specifics. What does it look like to love the world? And he genuinely says, it's a craving for the flesh. 
It's a craving for the flesh. It's a craving for just immediate gratification. It's disregard for others. Others aren't in our purview. And so I believe the first phrase is actually a banner over the last two phrases, if you follow me. That's a general statement of the cravings of the flesh. That is, the desires of the eyes and pride of possessions. Now, St. Augustine, he really wrestled with um, these things and he basically honed in on the fact that what is being emphasized here is at the heart level. It's at the heart level. And so what he begins to do is he calls these disordered loves. Disordered loves. Before we dive into those disordered loves, look at what is not being said here. He does not give a big list of do's and don'ts, does he? Religion wants a big list of do's and don'ts. Go to this movie, don't go to that movie. It wants, say this word, don't say that word. It wants, drink this much and this type and don't drink something else. It wants law, it wants parameter. That's what religion wants. But with the relationship with Jesus, we have the Spirit of God within us who works conviction. And so what does He do here? He hones in not on specific actions, but He hones in even deeper on the heart. And this is what Augustine says, is that we have disordered loves. We have disordered loves where desires for good things become ultimate things. He says, isn't it ludicrous if things become more important than people. And yet that happens, right? You're craving a nice steak dinner. Somebody stands in the way of that steak dinner. They might hear about that, right? They, they might have intruded in your comfort. You were planning on sitting to watch a movie. And all of a sudden... The phone call happens, or a knock at the door, or kids begin to clamor for your attention. Sometimes we're not the most godly in those moments. Because we disorder loves. We make things, all of a sudden, more important than people. And we do the same with people, right? Many marriages get rocky or even end because they try to make a person their Savior rather than Jesus. And individuals weren't meant to bear that load, right? Individuals aren't perfect. They're going to mess up. And when you're insecure, you can't place that upon your spouse for them to dig you out of your insecurity. But when a Savior looks at you and says, I love you, and you are mine, and you're accepted then all of a sudden, you realize you can get it from Him. Well, when you disorder those loves, and God becomes secondary to people, it can destroy the heart. It can create anxiety and worry and anger, even deceit, whatever it is. And so, what John is going after here is, what is your heart crying for? It's the cravings of the heart that align themselves with the love of the world. And so be careful, he begins. Be careful with giving in to the cravings of the heart. And what about what your eyes are taking in? What happens? It's not just, some of you might immediately think, lustful thoughts when you think of looking. But it's also covetousness. I want what you have. I want your job. I want your paycheck. I want your house. I want your relationship. I want your easy life. I want this, 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 and this. It's what you see that then your heart begins to crave. Now again, do, does every single person, including myself, struggle with this in some way, shape, or form? Do we? Yes. Okay, be humble. <laughs> we do. We do. The question is, when the alert goes off, what's the response? Oh God, keep me from this. Oh God, I see I'm giving myself to this. Are you running into God? Or are you running deeper into the love of the world? For those who run deeper into the love of the world, 
those who give themselves to covetousness and jealousy, sexual deviance, these lust of the eyes, and those who give themselves to pride and possessions, too much dependence upon what you have. You either look at what you have and you get really confident in you. Look at what I have provided for me. When every good and perfect gift is from the Lord. You just happen to be used. Everything from that you have is not owing to your greatness, but God's. So sometimes possessions can lead you to be confident in you, and sometimes possessions can lead to the pride of, I'm better than somebody else. Because look at what I have and they don't. If they would have just been good like me, they would have more. These things begin to erode, erode the fabric of Christ's community, the church. And they begin to pull us away from dependence upon Jesus, which is the banner hallmark of what characterizes the church. And he says, ultimately, as Pastor John Piper says, there's no U-Hauls behind hearses. You can't take anything with you. Be on the alert, church, because not only are there dangerous desires out there clamoring for your heart, but you can't take anything you have with you. This world is fleeting. It's fleeting. But there's one thing that's not. When you do the will of the Lord, when you love, you're storing up treasures for yourself in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. I just quoted Matthew 6. Not my own words. Those are Jesus's. So dear church, remember the temporary nature of the things that sometimes we give ourselves so much to. And John wants them to be on the alert. These things are sucking the life out of you. They're pulling your love away from the Father. And they're going to pass away. So be on the alert on these wayward desires. Church, life is too short. Heaven is too good. Hell is too real. And this spiritual battle is too aggressive for us to casually play Christian. And so he says, church, stop acting like there isn't a battle for your soul going on. And so he moves on to the next portion. Verses 18 and 19. Alerted to spiritual deception and attack. He doesn't just want you to be weary of the world. He wants you to know there are spiritual beings clamoring for you and for me. And so he says, children, see what he's doing. Why does he say children there? He's already addressed you as children earlier. He wants you to be confident. He wants to remind you of your relationship with God. Child, I'm your father. I've got you. You're mine. However, be on the alert. You see? So he goes on. It is the last hour. This is the phrase that's regularly used in the New Testament for the time between Jesus' death and resurrection and the time between His second coming. It's called the last hour. It's a long hour. It's called the last day sometimes in the New Testament, but that's exactly what it's referring to here. The last hour. It's the time between Jesus' death and resurrection and the time when He's coming again. And so... John had no idea how long that time was. Even the Son of Man has no idea how long that time is. He says here, children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard, the, that Antichrist is coming. Antichrist against Jesus is coming. And so now many Antichrists have come. Are you confused yet? If not, then good. Teach me. Um, But here, let's look at it a little bit. What he is seeking to do is he is seeking to alert us to the spiritual dynamics that are happening beyond what our eyes can see. He says, he says later on in 2 John chapter 7, he says, 
For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus. Such one is a deceiver and an antichrist. And what is he doing? He is beginning to align the action of denying Jesus and being deceptive with the devil. Because the devil, we know, is the father of lies. He is the deceiver. He is the ultimate one who is against Jesus. Now, so what I want to do is, you're being alerted to spiritual deception and attack. What I want to do is I want to raise up that the devil is real and that there's a battle going on for the soul. And then I want to explain what this singular Antichrist is and then explain what he means by these many Antichrists. Okay? But you have to begin to believe or be convinced that there's something spiritual going on beyond what our eyes can see. And once you get there, then we can start putting names and phrases to what else is happening. Okay? So, the devil is real. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and following. It calls the devil a lion. And it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Are you on that kind of alert? He's prowling around seeking to devour. Ultimately, to devour your faith. If He can uproot your faith, you have no hope. And you are under Him as your Father. Your adversary, the devil... The combatant, the terrorist against your heart, the devil, is prowling around, crafting terror plots against your soul. That's not overspeak. It's not just creative language. It's a reality. Who is this devil who's prowling around? He's the father of lies. John 8.44 You are of your father the devil and you, your will is to do your father's desires. He's speaking to those who are not following Jesus. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. That's the devil. And he does not stand in truth. He's a flat-out liar. Because there's no truth in him at all. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and he's the father of all lies. When you or I lie, we are giving in to the influence of the evil one. And in some small way, we're representing him. We're giving Him voice. And everything that He says is evil. John 10 says, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I keep my sheep. But it says of the devil, he's a thief and he comes in only to steal, kill, and destroy. This has been like this from the beginning. That little voice that tells you to check out and to not love. That little voice that tells you to press into images that are destroying your soul. That little voice that tells you to do unjust dealings at work just to get ahead. That little voice that pushes you to step on somebody that you might be elevated. That little voice that tells you that revenge is better than forgiveness. He's a liar and he's after your heart. He's called an accuser. He is a great tempter, like He did our Savior. And so, of course, there's a battle going on in our heart. Ephesians 6 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He is real. Hell is real. And He is aggressive. But church, be confident. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John chapter 4. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world.
But do not let down on your spiritual fervor. And so, because this is so serious, he says, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Now, this is the only place where kind of this is, this, there's an individual kind of called an Antichrist in reference to um, what is probably referenced in Second Thessalonians, somebody called the man of lawlessness. Now, I don't have time to go through all of this, but there is one that is coming. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 10. And it says this, For that day will not come, he's talking about the end of all things, Jesus Christ coming back, coming back because there were false teachers saying the end had already come. The end had already come. And now 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, Don't let anybody deceive you in this way. You see the parallels. A bunch of people trying to deceive the people of God. That day will come unless... That day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. What's the rebellion? The man of lawlessness is revealed. It is... The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself over against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. There will be one who comes and it is an individual. It is evil personified who raises himself up as God and people will follow him. He says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his proper time. Do you hear this? God is still able to restrain him now so that at the right time he will be unleashed. And then he will be completely put down. Christ will return. Victory will be seen by all. And those who are His children will be ushered into eternal life. And those who are rebellious at the core, who've been loving the world and not loving the Father, will be ushered into hell forever and ever and ever. But right now, this man of lawlessness, this one that could be called the Antichrist, is being restrained right now. We don't know exactly... Who is doing the restraining? Daniel mentions the archangel Michael, so angels could be restraining. However it's working, there's a restraining of this individual, but yet evil is still pushing out in the world right now, and we're all longing for the appearing of Christ to come, but we will know that He will come when this man of lawlessness stands up, and it will be understandable because he says the church is going to know that it's happening. And so, if we can now run back to 1 John chapter 2. If your head's not hurting already, verse 18, Children, it's the last hour. I'm going to come. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. This man of lawlessness, this individual, he's going to come as this marker of the second coming. But right now, there are many Antichrists. What's that mean? There are many individuals who are doing the devil's bidding with their lives. And they don't even know it. They're just living for the world, oppressing God's people, hating everything that is of God. And I know people don't want to be called this, but John is calling them antichrists. Little miniature Incarnations of this one man of lawlessness that's coming. It's a, pers- it's, a, it's a representation of the devil himself. That's what it is when people like you and I give in to evil. We are a movie of the father of lies, the deceiver. And that's why many deceivers have gone out into our world. Second John says... And anyone who's a deceiver like that is an antichrist. Ultimately, what he is honing in on is anyone who denies that Jesus is Lord with their mouth and ultimately with their action. And now verse 19 comes out. Because what if anybody reads the book of 1 John and they have a spiritual pulse, they're going to get a little squeamish about, am I a child of God? They're going to get, am I really His? And this verse seeks to address that. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. 
So there are people that were among our body that left the faith. They run out of the faith. Run out on the faith. And it says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, God keeps His people. If you're saved, you're gripped. You're His. And it's by His work alone, not yours, that keeps you. You might think that seems contradictory, but no. Your confidence is in what Christ has done for you. But this text says, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have stayed in the faith. But since they went out, it's now plain to all that they were never really children to begin with. Does that make sense? Some people are asking, can you lose your salvation? No way. What God has begun, He will complete. But there will be some, and heaven forbid, some even in among our midst, who walk with us, who show great signs of faith, but yet the cares of the world begin to choke it out, and people coming around them saying, please, turn from your sin, run to Jesus, don't give up on Him. And they say no, and they stiff arm, and they stiff arm, and they stiff arm, and they start loving the world, and embracing the world, and living for the world. It's the devil. Um, They'll start doing that. And when they leave, by our tears and our pleading for them to turn away from sin and come back to Christ, when they leave, it will not be that they lost their salvation. It will be what this verse says. They went out from us because they were never really among us. And now they're leaving to make it plain to all. They were never really a child. So if you're a child in the room, be on the alert. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Do not be found among the antichrist, those who are deceivers. Be found as children who when you hear the alert, you don't back, put your back to Jesus. You run towards Him. You embrace Him. And you do that by the Word of God. So friends, may we have a pattern, a pattern of confidence, a pattern of alertness. And so now the text says, the last point is that God has created a confidently alert community. He wants you confident. He wants you alert. And John just takes us back there at the end and says, now be confidently alert. Why? Verse 20, but you have been anointed. You see what he's doing? You've been changed. You've been saved. God has invaded your heart. Celebrate that. Too many Christians are walking around in self-condemnation not celebrating the fact that God has invaded them. Is life hard? Yes. Do you struggle with sin? Yes. But you're fighting it and you trust in Jesus and He is your advocate. He's standing there for you and not against you. Celebrate His love for you. Don't focus on the darkness. Darkness does not dispel darkness. Your badness and focusing in on it does not make you change. Focus on the light. Focus on Christ. And that's what John's doing here. You've been anointed. You've been changed. The anointing was an Old Testament image of being washed and set apart for God. This is what He did when He came into your life. And these dissenters, they were coming around and they were saying, you just don't know as much as we do. If you were enlightened and knew what we knew, then you would be doing what we would be doing. You see the deceptiveness. And here he says, you've got all the knowledge you need. All the knowledge you need. He even says later on, in verse 27, you have no need for anyone that, sh- that anyone should teach you. And yet he's writing a letter to teach them. What's that mean? It means you've got all the tools you need. All the tools you need for faith. And that should happen in community. And yes, we should be teaching each other, but don't let these outside dissenters tell you that you just don't know enough. And if you knew more, then you would be where we are, ultimately denying Jesus and living for the world. And so... Just like all throughout the news, if you've been following much about this NFL domestic abuse scandal stuff that's been going on, what is the benefit of all of that mess? The benefit 
is that now what was kind of a peripheral issue for some, domestic abuse, when that video came out of Ray Rice hitting that woman, and all of a sudden it became like in 3D. And there was an alertness. There was an awareness to an issue that many weren't aware of before. And friends, story after story of this happening, not just in urban versus suburban, is happening everywhere. And ultimately, that's what God wants to tell us today. This text is meant to be that video. That video playing of the devil attacking you. Something that you just have pushed to the periphery and saying, it's really not happening. There's really not a battle out here. But there is. And so that's why we need the church. That's why we need the Word. We come together and we fight this battle together against our sin for faith so that we might be a loving people. This text is meant to be the alert so that we don't take something and push it to the periphery. But that now we walk as God's children in confidence, on the alert, so that this devil and his minions, they will not get the upper hand. That's why he says, you are strong because the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in Christ we have overcome the evil one. Thank you that in Christ you are for us and not against us. Thank you that in Christ we are secure. Thank you so much that you love us, that you give us warnings like this in the Scriptures. The devil is limited. He's not like you, God. And we just want to praise you for that. He's not everywhere. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's got limited strength. He's limited in His presence, which is why He has to send out His demons. So, Lord, we thank You that You aren't limited. You are all-present and all-powerful and all-knowing, and we can trust You. And so, God, I pray that although the alert level is high, we would not walk around in fear, but in awareness. And there would be a hatred for sin that bubbles up in the people of God. And yet there would be this strange sense of confidence that we are God's children, loved, died for. The price has been paid. And our works don't earn our salvation. They only confirm what God has already done. So, Father, please, give us a a confidence that is alert so that we would also be given strength to love Christ and love others. Empower us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.